Okay, so uh, we go to uh, Kirsty Scully now, Certified Financial Planner from Core Wealth in Cape Town. And you may have heard uh, how important it is to have a will when you pass away. Well, tonight uh, we're talking to Kirsty Scully uh, about just that, the importance of having an up-to-date will. So, Kirsty, who should have a will then? Well, you know, if if we look at wills, um, the, basically a will is the right of everybody. Every every South African, if you've got any form of assets, it's important that you have a will. Um, yeah, any type of assets, because what you are doing by having a will is actually you're lessening the burden on the on your loved ones around you by ensuring that it's easy to wind up your estate. Really, I consider a, a will to be a very carefully crafted gift that, in fact, you that you are leaving behind for those who are close to you. Um, it was interesting that last week I, I had a call from one of our listeners and uh, she, she was telling me that her husband passed away over Christmas and um, she wanted to find out about me winding up the estate for her, which of course is something that I do and I'm not, not a problem to do it. But tragically, he's died without a will. And, you know, it's it just... It just reinforces, and that's why I thought we must talk about this tonight, because it reinforces for me how absolutely tragic that is. To die without a will, basically, I mean, in her case, she's got three young children. That means all the assets get split between her and three kids. And because of that, how is that? How is she going to be able to wind up the? How is she going to be able to live, basically? Mm. Um, because the, the money that goes to the kids actually will have, be, have to be held in the guardian's fund. So she doesn't even get that. It's going to be. She, there will be times that she can draw on it, but with difficulty. Not sort of as easy as if it was just paid across to her, and she could kind of run the family from there. So you know, it's a huge concern um, when when that sort of thing happens. But sadly, this is the case. It happens with so many people. There are many, many people out there who don't have wills, even though we speak about it on such a regular occasion. Mm. Um, and, and there are many reasons why you should have a will. So I really think that it's very important that you have a will. It's a priority with, with financial plan to have a will and to ensure that it is up to date at all stage, all stages, I should say. Um, and it's wrong to think that only people who are wealthy have wills, or if your estate is substantial. That is absolutely wrong. It's, it, a will can be for anybody. Why is it then that so many people die without a will? Mm. I think it's misconceptions. I definitely think it is because a lot of people will immediately say to me, oh, but gee, I don't have much money. You know, I only got whatever, however much money it is, you know, and they, they think it's not a lot. It doesn't matter what the amount is. You should have a will. And, and a lot of people, other people also think, you know, they, I mean, especially I find older people, they'll say to me, oh, my children know what must happen to the money. They know who must get my wedding ring and who must get my whatever the case is. Um, and, you know, that might sound like it's simple, but that's the biggest place where arguments start, and mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's definitely another misconception. Another thing where I find is a misconception is that a, young, a lot of young couples, they'll say, oh, but we're so young, we're not going to die yet, you know. Is it really necessary? Can't mm-hmm. we just do that in a few years' time sort of thing? My attitude is you are never too young, you're never too poor, and you are n- never too busy to actually prepare a will. Mm, mm. Mm. What will happen then in, in the case of this, this, this listener that, who gave you a call? What will happen if somebody dies mm. without a will? 
Yeah, well, you know, typical example there. He has died what we call, we call it dying intestate. That's the name that you give, give for somebody who dies without a will. And basically, his estate, his whole estate will be frozen until permission gets actually given for his wife or relatives, whoever it is, to actually deal with his estate. Um, so, you know, there's, I mean, that's a perfect example. Husband and wife, he passes away and the wife is, is, is in a situation that she can't access any of his money, okay, mm. until that estate is wound up. Um, so, you know, that becomes a problem. Um, and I think it's really tough for, especially women who get left behind, having to look after the children, or whether it's a husband getting left, uh, left behind to look after the children, I think it's, it's pretty tough. So, you know, the other thing to consider is the fact that if you die without a will, your estate could go to somebody that you actually didn't want it to go to. Because you haven't specified. So uh, just one, one more reason why it's very important. Have a will so that you can specify exactly who should be inheriting from you. And of course the other thing that's important of the will is that it allows you to point, who, uh, to point an executor. Um, and the executor is the person who's actually responsible for, for administering, winding up the estate, whatever you want to call it, and ensuring that the beneficiaries actually get their money. So it really is important to have a will because it allows you to communicate what what your last wishes are, mm. you know, where you want what to go to. And, of course, it also allows you to say, do I want to be buried or do I want to be cremated? So quite a nice thing. So I think the bottom, bottom line here is, is that everybody should, should draw up a will and ensure that, you, that it's a valid will and ensure that it's um, up to date. Mm, absolutely. Mm. We are chatting to Kirsty Scully, as we do every Tuesday evening, and we're talking about the importance of having uh, a will uh, when you die. An SMS has just come in from Kim in Hout Bay, uh, who says, I know that if you go to a stationery shop, you can buy the document there to use for a will. Uh, is this a type of will? Uh, is this type of will good to use? Very good point, Kim, because I've also seen those that in, in stationery shops, um, uh, Kirsty, where it's just sort of got will as a heading and, and very, mm. you know, I so and so, and then signing. Could, can one use those as yeah. as a will? Yes, well, you know, it definitely is a valid document. Well, as long as you, you go through the process to make it valid, okay? So you can just go and fill it in. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there are many people who do that. In fact, a will can be as simple as giving a piece of paper and, and sitting and write down, writing down exactly what your wishes are. Um, but... I would still recommend that, especially if you do have substantial assets, get it drawn up properly. Get it drawn up by an attorney or a financial planner so that you can ensure that it is done absolutely correctly. But if you do decide to go the route of the, the, the stationery shop one, Kim, I'm just thinking of you here, um, or if you decide to go the route of just literally getting a piece of paper and just writing it down, there are certain requirements that you have to that you have to comply with in order to make it valid. So the first thing is um, you, you as the testator or testatrix. Now, testator is a man. A testatrix is a woman. Okay. So you, as a person for your estate, you need to make sure you've signed each and every page. So if you write a few couple of pages, make sure that each and every page is signed as well as dated. Okay. And a testator, um, the person who's writing a will, has to be at least the age of 16. Uh, I know I recently had a, had a case where I had a 15-year-old who inherited a, a lot of money. 
money, mm. many millions. Sure. And it was actually quite interesting because I literally had to wait until his 16th birthday for us to, uh, to actually get him to go and to, to sign a will. Wow. So that is important. Um, the other thing is that each and every page must, must be witnessed. Okay, there must be two witnesses on, on each page, and those witnesses must be at least the age of 14. And they must be able to read and write. So you can't kind of just get anybody to just go and sign those mm, or a mm. child or anything like that. Um, and each, if, if you make any changes, I know sometimes we see people making changes, make sure that you've initialed, um, or, or I would actually say even just make sure you sign it mm, in full. Mm. And the witnesses must also sign those changes that are made. So very, that is very important. And um, the last point on this is that the witnesses, um, you can kind of get anybody to do it, but I always say make sure you don't get any family member to do it because anybody who is going to be inheriting from you cannot sign your will. So don't use a family oh. member to do it. Um, and also the executor, whoever you appointed as the executor, also cannot sign your will. So make sure that they haven't signed it. Get some independent people to sign it. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. You just mentioned an executor there, Kirsty. What exactly does an executor do? The executive is a person who uh, who's going to wind up the estate. In other words, they they're the administrator. They're going to make sure that what they've done is that they're transferring all the assets to the beneficiaries. They're going to make sure all your outstanding debt is paid. They'll collect any money that is owed to you, um, and then they'll also do the final liquidation and distri- uh, distribution accounts, which is the accounts which actually get handed over the master to the master of the Supreme Court for final approval to say that everything can be paid. It. So it's the, it's the executive is the administrator. Yeah. Okay. Often the, the wording on wills is, is very, very complex and, and can be quite difficult to understand though. It can be. Um, and yes, I, I mean, always, we, always, we always joke about things it's like as if they're Greek. Mm. You, know, you, you have no <laughs> understanding of, for what it is. Um, for me, what I do as a financial planner, I'm very particular about this, is that I ensure that the will is very comprehensive, but at the same time, it must be easy to understand. Mm. A child must almost be able to understand mm. it, you mm. know. Um, make sure that there's no ambiguous words in it um, or any particular quotes or anything like that because you don't want there to be any confusion at the time of payout as to who must be getting what. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What happens when someone gets divorced? How quickly should they then be changing their will? Well, that's a good point because, and it's a very valid point to bring up. Um, the law allows you, it's the, shall I say it's under the Wills Act, okay? So I'll say the law, the Wills Act. In, within the Wills Act, there's an assumption. The assumption is that if you've got, just got divorced, that you do not wish your spouse to um, be still inheriting from you. And I think mm. that's a fairly, fairly normal assumption to make. Mm. Um, and this assumption is really valid for three months. So they say for the first three months after you've got divorced, we assume you don't want your ex-spouse to be getting the money. Sure. But if you leave it more than three months, then we assume that you do still want your spouse to be in, your ex-spouse to be inheriting that money if you have not changed your will yet. So if you get divorced, certainly get it done within three months, although I must admit, I find most people can't wait to get it changed. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a, a message in from uh, from Jenna in Claremont on the WhatsApp that says, um, if I have some precious jewellery, for example, a wedding ring, can I be specific as to who inherit it, inherits it? Good question, Jenna. Thank you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And those are called, we call them bequests. 
So it's you you being specific about something. So often, Jen is a typical question here. Jewelry is something that comes to mind very often. You need to, Jenny, you need to be specific. You need to say, I would like, for example, um, my daughter Susan Smith to get my wedding ring and my granddaughter to get my engagement ring or my costume jewelry or whatever it is that she's going to be getting. So actually be specific with their names and say who it is like, you know, my daughter or you know, and make a reference to it so mm. it's very clear. Um, the other thing that I find quite often people ask about when we're talking about bequests is when there's a weapon, okay? Um, quite often a father owns a weapon and he wants to know that he's passed it on to his son. Mm. Uh, you know, it goes down, a lot of cultures have that and it goes down like this. Now, what's important is that the person who's inheriting the, the weapon needs to be ob- able to obtain a gun license. So ah. a child can't do that, okay? So there is a bit of a problem if a child inherits it because we can't just hand the weapon over then because they don't have a license. So um, I would generally say, you know, try try some other method if you're, if the person is in, inheriting is not of age yet to get a license. But alternatively, what I've done, um, I actually had to do quite recently in a will, is the child is inheriting, but we've made provision in the estate to pay for the gun to be held in safekeeping until the child turns 18 or is able to obtain a gun license. Yeah. So what we had to do was find out what is it going to cost us. Well, it's about 70 rand a month for a gun to be held um, in, in, a, in a safe and, you know, there's special companies that mm, do this. Mm. So we've got to say, well, if it's, say, 10 years, then it would be 70 rand per month, 70 times 12 times 10 years uh, at that sort of cost, obviously, with a bit of inflation. And we need to keep that amount of money aside in the estate to be able to pay for that. And in fact, we take it out the estate because otherwise we wouldn't be able to wind up the estate until the 10 years is over. So we actually take sure. it out the estate effectively pay for it um, to be to be looked after for those that number of years mm. that are still left um, and that's how to, to it's quite complex yes. oh, how interesting sure yeah. okay mm. if you are just joining us we're chatting to Kirsty Scully certified financial planner at Core Wealth uh, about the importance of course of having an up-to-date will um, often Kirsty a will ref- will refer to uh, a testamentary trust can you explain to our yes. listeners what a testamentary trust is yeah well Look here, I mean, that's, that's a good question because a lot of people say, I haven't got a clue. I, you know, I don't want to trust. I don't want to be paying for a trust. Mm. Or now, this is totally different. It's totally different to the usual trust that we talk about, which is an intervivos trust. So this one is a testamentary trust. This trust you write about in your will, but it only gets set up when you actually die. So there's no cost in, until you die, okay? So, and then what it is really there for is mainly there for children who are too young to actually inherit. So Maybe you get a, a young child who inherits some money. Now, you can't go and give them however much money it is, okay, because they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to manage it, and, and it needs to be managed properly. So and, um, a testamentary trust is there to manage the money until a specific age. And as a person writing the will, you would say, I would like my children to actually get the money available to them at a certain age, and I normally recommend 25, okay? A lot of people want to go for 21, but whatever it is, 21, 25, I think you need to know that your child is going to be capable of looking after money at that stage. And certainly with me as a as a young adult son, I don't think 21 is the right age. I think it's a little bit too early. So I would tend to say, you know, keep to the age of at least about 25. Um, but really at, uh, the, the, what happens is the money gets held in trust 
it doesn't mean that that child does not have any access to it. No, mm. not at all. If that child, or I call, call it maybe a young adult, turned around and says, okay, I'm going, I need to go after varsity, then what we would do is we would pay out money specifically to the university itself to say, there's the payment for that child to go off and, and study. So the payment would, would be made directly so that, so that it doesn't get, get misappropriated. Um, or maybe the child turns 18, they get a driver's license, and they say, well, I really want a car. I've got money tied up in this trust. Can I get a car? Yes, of course. If there's enough money, we would then look Look at the situation and probably just get a normal, ordinary car. They don't have to have anything fancy. But, and that's where we are trying to protect their money because I know a 21-year-old would be quite happy to go and buy the most fancy, flashy car, but that's not necessarily the best thing with their money. So that's why a trustee is there to actually manage uh, a testamentary trust on behalf of that young person. Mm, okay. Mm. Kirsty, often people will talk about living wills, um, and that sounds almost contradictory. So what exactly <laughs> is a living will? Yeah. Well, um, a lot of people, we actually um, write living wills for people when they're doing their normal wills. Um, it's a legal document as well um, in that what it's doing is it makes known your wishes in the event that you can't talk. Okay. okay. So say, for example, you're in a terrible accident or something and you are what we would call in a vegetative state. Mm, you, mm. you are still alive, but you've been kept alive on like a ventilator. This is your way of saying to your doctor, I do not want to be kept alive or saying to your family, I do not want to be kept alive on a ventilator if there's absolutely no chance of me recuperating. Okay. And mm. um, the doctor will make that, doctor, normally a team of doctors will actually make that decision and will say, look here, there, there, there appears to be absolutely no chance. And then what they will do is they will ensure that you are medicated adequately so that you feel no pain and they will then take you off the ventilator and you would assumingly die of natural causes then at that stage. Um, so it's really just your method of saying to the doctors, please do not keep me going for months on end on some sort of a ventilator and it allows you to talk for yourself when you when you really can't talk. Okay, sure, sure. Um, before we wrap up, Kirsty, can you just let us know where we can have a, a will drawn up and also what does it cost? Yeah, well, you can go to an attorney attorneys are well known for drawing up wills, you can go to a financial planner. Not all financial planners do. Not, they're not all qualified to do it, but um, so mainly attorneys and financial planners. And, um, you know, as, with regard to the cost, well, it's, it's going to vary from company to company. I find a lot of attorneys are charging in the region of about 3,000 rand or so to do it. Possibly you'll find a financial planner a little bit more cost effective. I know certainly within our business we charge about 1,000 rand plus that. So it's not all that expensive, um, and it's certainly probably one of the most valuable docu documents you can can um, can can sign off. Mm. And, but it's it's definitely highly important. Everybody needs to have a will um, and um, go to see a, a financial planner or an attorney to get it drawn up. Absolutely, Kirsty. Thanks so much. Always a, a pleasure having you on, and so much uh, to take on board there, and very informative uh, as always. Uh, we'll chat to you again next week. Absolutely.